Good morning and welcome back to the First Cup of Joe show brought to you by Level Up Courses. I'm Christian here with my dad, Jeff. Dad, we got a couple fun guests on here today. One, you guys have heard before, Eli. He's on our, our Level Up team. And Eli is with his buddy, Sean, who is the coffee expert. And so a couple fun guests to have on. Dad, we've got them here. We've got a hot cup of coffee. Let's jump into the show. Yeah, I'm super excited. Let's go. That's a good cup of joe. If you just get up and put your nose to the grindstone at 4.30 by 9, you think, man, I got a lot done today, and most people are just finishing breakfast. You ready? You know I was born ready. All right, Eli, Sean, welcome to the show. You guys are in Colorado, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right, Colorado Sean, Springs. Yep. First question: Is it Colorado or Colorado? Colorado. All um, right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know <laughs> that I really ever picked up on that until a Coloradan pointed it out, and then I started trying to focus on how you're supposed to say it, and yeah, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Colorado. Colorado. Got it. All right. So Sean, you've been in Colorado Springs, Colorado Springs for six years or so. Um, yeah, we actually, my wife and I were stationed uh, here, um, for about six years and then we left for a few. Uh, and as we transitioned out of the military, we decided to come back to Colorado Springs and start our, our business here. Um, so I think a total now of almost 12 years we've been in Colorado. Okay. Wow. How, how did I say it? Did I say it, Colorado? Colorado. <laughs> I think you said it. Maybe, by, maybe by the end of this, we'll be consistent. We'll figure something out. Yeah. By the end. <laughs> Good deal. So you live there with your wife and your family uh, about twelve years, and you guys run a coffee shop, right? Yeah, that's right. My wife and our three kiddos. Uh, we have a coffee shop and a coffee roastery. So we roast for our own our own cafe, as well as uh, several others in our in our city and a few other wholesale folks churches and other businesses and things like that cool yeah so we're gonna sean we're gonna jump in a little bit later in our podcast we're gonna we're gonna really dive into your coffee business um just right now in our intro here um just want to get to know you a little bit better what other what other things are you interested in besides coffee and running a coffee shop yeah um some of our passions some of my passions have grown i, I grew up in arizona um, my dad always took us out on wilderness adventures. So we were, you know, hunting and in the desert, snoring desert, and then um, oftentimes up north in Colorado and Flagstaff elk hunting. So a lot of that um, became kind of the, just the foundation of who I am and uh, learning, learning adventure. And uh, most of that was in the outdoors. So I've, I've tried to continue that and perpetuate that with my kids. And it's kind of where we find our relationship um, through fishing and, and other, you know, even if it's just camping, but just getting outside uh, in the outdoors, which uh, lately has been in kind of homesteading or farming or whatever label you want to put on that. But we've got a few acres uh, actually in Falcon, just east of Colorado Springs, where we've got a few animals. Um, and that's kind of been our joy is is spending time together doing chores or projects outside. So I think I think just outdoors and outside is what is what kind of brings us to life as a family and what 
bonds us as we're doing projects. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I, I don't think I enjoyed it at the time, but one thing I've grown to appreciate is the fact that we had to, to, uh, dig fence pulse holes when we were growing up. <laughs> yeah. And, so dad, you probably, nice in Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> dad, dad probably dug more than we did, but it, you know, just, you learn how to, you learn how to work hard and, and that your hard work pays off and you can see a fence at the end of the day and, and it has a purpose and um, yeah, you know, that's a valuable lesson for a kid to learn. Certainly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, work ethic is one thing they're picking up on, but I think even deeper than that, some of the intimate conversation that can come out during those times that. Uh, who knows the impact that'll have on my kiddos, but I think just just connecting at the heart level with my kids individually and even as a group joking around and, and all that. Yeah, we're doing work, but um, I try not to make it just about work. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it's about it's about our family and our family development. I think that's been probably the, <clears throat> the, the key thing that, that we've tried. My wife and I have tried to keep in the forefront of our brain as we pursue either business or farming or whatever it is. It's, it's all about heart and it's all about getting to know our kids better and um, just investing in them. I think they're our number one priority and everything awesome. else around that has to come. You know, it's our faith, it's our kids, and then it's our whatever else is left, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's business, awesome. Whatever, wherever that falls, you know? Yeah. What, uh, what kind of animals do you have at the farm, Sean? Oh man, we've, we started out with chickens. I think that's probably one of the easiest, most approachable things to do. So, um, at what point, one point we had about 160 egg layers and we were selling some eggs through the cafe, but, um, so we, we've got, we've got those, we just recently reduced our flock. So we're down to about, I don't know what you like 55 chickens yeah, like or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then we've got a couple of goats, um, Nice. Nubian Nigerians, they've still got their horns, so they trip, you know, they had butcher, which is really fun. Kids go out there and <laughs> <laughs> kind of mess with them, pushing against them and stuff. Uh, and then uh, we raised a pig before and raised her up to about 350 pounds, processed her in the garage, and really pleased with, the, with how that turned out. So I bought three more. So we got three more pigs running around, um, waiting to fatten them up. We just realized last night we're at a breakfast sausage, so like. And we got to fatten these guys up quick. <laughs> um, and then, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we need more food. Um, and then we, the joy of, of the farm right now is uh, we got a dairy cow uh, a few weeks back, and her name is Patty. Um, our cow, Patty. She's the best. <laughs> what, uh, what breed is she? She's new being, uh, oh my gosh, that's the, that's that's the, the goat. goat. Yeah. No, she's a mini jersey. Okay. Uh, so she's kind of wide and short and she's super sweet. She has a great temperament, great personality. Uh, she's, she's a first time heifer, so she's bred and she should calf in June and then we should be getting some milk by then. So I have no idea what I'm doing. I've never milked a cow, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's, I think it's another one of those invitational adventures that we all get to kind of do together as a family and figure out how to screw it up and then hopefully how to do it right. <laughs> there you go. <clears throat> We've been having tons of conversations about like, yeah, cause you, cause I'm getting my cow probably, uh, in like three weeks and <clears throat> the guy I'm buying them from, he does grass, grass dairy. And he's just been telling me how tricky it is to keep a cow who's putting all our fat into her milk, mm -hmm. keep her body condition up. And so, um, it's been amazing being able to talk to this guy. And so Sean, Sean and I've been yeah. going back and forth and 
you know, when I get my cow, I'm going to let them know what I figure out and all that stuff. So. It, it's funny to kind of try to venture through the things you don't know and how silly some of these questions are that we have for the experts. And then to look back, I think is stuff we can laugh about <laughs> once we, once it's figured it out. But yeah. yeah. I think, you know, I, I, I love hearing both of you have that conversation. Cause you know, we talk with, uh, you know, talk with, with people. And one thing I always, I, I I'm always fascinated with that. People are very curious. You know, I, I like mm-hmm. being around curious people who mm-hmm. like to, who, who, who will go buy a milk cow that don't know anything about it. Cause they're just curious and uh, just good people to be around versus somebody who's always just, I can't take that risk or I don't yeah. know enough about it. It's just fun to, it's fun to hear you guys talk that way. Yeah. You know, I, as you're, as you're talking, I think about some of the reasons why we've, we've felt a little bit more confident to lean forward in certain things, especially with the cow. Um, and I, I just think about our community here. We've got uh, a few other families that are doing similar things and none of us have any experience. I think a lot of farmers have been, Eli and I were kind of riffing on this the other day about uh, generational handing down of, uh, like farms to uh, farms to their kids and then to their kids and to their kids. But I didn't get that. Um, and the other family groups here that we're a part of, we've got a little uh, homestead alliance called the Front Range Homestead Alliance that we've kind of started with a few other families. And so I think um, being able to hang out and talk through the things that we're each struggling with and the things that we each have hope for, uh, it's just encouraging and it's it's good to find strength in each other. And to not have to just lean on yourself, but um, I think I guess what I'm getting at is community. It's all it's it's kind of all about community, and um, and it's kind of cool to be encouraged by each other and and borrow tools from each other or a trailer from somebody. <laughs> and, uh, that definitely. that definitely helps kind of break some of those barriers to not getting a cow. So I don't have a horse trailer, but two of my friends do. So um, it's good to be able to offer to each other and uh, encourage each other. Certainly. Yeah, I mean, that's great, Sean. We yeah. borrowed the the neighbor's trailer for however many years. You know, yeah. he always said, "I own the trailer for fifty one weeks of the year, and <laughs> and the Crestors own it for one." That's cool. So that was really fun. Yeah, the Don. Oh, that's good. So, Sean, our last uh, last question here in our first segment is: What's your you know? I, I would, this probably ties into everything you've just talked about. But if you could sum it up, what is your personal mission? Yeah, I think that that changes over the years. I'm 39 years old, or I'll be 39 this coming year. Um, and kind of some of my background, I spent 12 years in the service. I joined uh, just after 9-11, uh, just out of high school. My wife and I had just gotten married. Actually, I married her the day before she graduated high school for her, um, which you know was kind of a crazy adventure back then. Um, Iraq was really crazy at the time. And um, so just journeying through my time in the service and um, just that adventure and then uh, what that would lead to with getting out, getting into business. I think all of that stuff has, uh, as I look back, it all has kind of shifted. So my personal mission back then was honestly rooted in success and rank and trying to get to the next thing and make more money or whatever. Um, but as, as we have a family and our kids are growing, uh, my oldest is 14 uh, my daughter's 12 and then my youngest son is nine. I think <clears throat> as we reprioritize and as the Lord gets a hold of our hearts and changes things in us, 
um, that transformation changes what your mission becomes. And I think for, for my wife and I, our foundational mission has been rooted in just personal heart development in the Lord and then uh, our family and our family comes first. So as we were, as we were sitting talking about prioritizing what's the most important thing to us, um, the last things that came out in that conversation about six years ago were, um, were to be successful or retirement. Like none of that stuff was in the beginning of our list and it was all about our family and then our, you know, family, friends, community, um, and our faith. And so I, I think that's what's stuck even over the last six years, as we've journeyed into business, it's never been, that's never been the priority. I think that's been, uh, something that's kind of taken a back seat, but it's also been a fun adventure for, uh, as we prioritized our kids and our relationship with them. So I guess our personal mission has just been a healthy family and kind of walking alongside with them and really paying attention and being mindful about who they are and who they're becoming um, and offering our hearts to them as a dad and as a mother and um, making sure that they, <clears throat> making sure that they have, uh, you know, a good, a good healthy family and a good healthy home. Thanks for that, Sean. I mean, that's, just, yeah. that's an awesome, awesome story. And, and, we we love where your heart's at and what your what your goals and and mission is yeah absolutely I mean, <clears throat> that's the we see so many problems in our culture and the problem the biggest problem is that that a families are being destroyed by the enemy mm -hmm. and um and and men aren't stepping up to fill their role as as leaders so i mean our whole thing is about leadership right and it comes down to leading the family first. Hmm. And I think that's, that's good. That's either. a super important, super important part. We don't, we don't touch on it a lot, but it, it, I mean, it's the foundation of, we wouldn't be doing this podcast if our dad wasn't hmm. a, leading our family in this, that's you good. know? So, um, yeah, so that it's a really cool tie in. So thanks. Yeah, that's good. I think as I, as I watched my peers in the service, as I started to make rank and, and find success, um, <clears throat> their priorities were not rooted in their family. And I think it was painful to watch some of the things that they were going through in divorce and through um, not knowing their children and not even having a heart towards their kids. And that just pained me deeply. So um, I wanted to make sure that that's not who I became. I think it's too easy in today's culture and today's society in the world to um, find your validation in your success through work. Um, I think it's just a, a challenge of knowing who you are at the core and finding that, that I guess, sonship and, and who you are in the father first and, and allowing that be what validates you versus the world versus um, success or um, accelerating in work or business or making money or whatever. Obviously those things are important. Like you have to work and you have to be successful, but that, when that becomes the thing you work for the most, I think that's what can distract from the things that are actually the most important. Um, I feel like the evil one has tied a lot of stuff into that too. Just Definitely. kind of bringing a lot of men down and finding validation and success and only that. So very good, Sean. Thank you for all that. <clears throat> We're going to wrap up segment one here. Yeah. We'll be back in just a minute. Segment two. We're going to, we're going to ask Sean some leadership and business questions.
All right, Sean. So you've been you've owned a coffee shop now for six years or so. Yeah. What is what are one or two leadership or business lessons that you've learned as a small business owner? Man, I I think I think early on some of our goals I think through intimidation of starting a business in a city where coffee was quite present and the standard was kind of high, it was hard for us to enter that market space and be confident in it. So um, we, we tried to find and hire staff that were, were experts and knew what they were doing. And we did, and we found some people that were really able to offer. Um, but I found that when, as we did that, um, some of that came with some arrogance and it was very difficult to lead them when they felt like they were leading you. Mm-hmm. So um, I think maybe some of those folks and the lack of, of humility made it difficult to, to lead them and lead our team. Um, so <clears throat> basically what, what that did for us as leaders was transition how we hire and who we hire. And it became less about hiring for skill and more about hiring for the heart. I think that's, that's been something that we've been Hmm. learning how to do better. Um, And and then honestly, as as they come in more humble, it's been easier to lead them uh, and lead them well through, through what our goals are with just serving our community, which that's kind of our number one priority. I think that's great, Sean. You know, I always, I think I, I see people ask the question oftentimes of, you know, do you hire for skill or for attitude? And I mean, my choice would always be, I want both, mm-hmm. but if I could only have one, mm-hmm. I'd rather have the attitude because I can teach the skill. That That's absolutely right. I think um, I, it's super difficult to convince somebody to love a human <laughs> and to be hospitable. I mean, we're in the hospitality industry. We're there to serve it. Yes. We, we focus a lot on coffee, especially in the roastery uh, with, with what Eli has been experiencing by visiting here in Colorado. Um, but on the other side, I think even our focus in the roastery is high quality coffee, sourcing good coffee, making sure relationships are developing and, and we're doing a good job on the roaster, but in the cafe, that's the face of the business. And that's, that's where the majority of our support comes. And if, if that experience for a customer or a guest is not great, um, I feel like we're missing, we're missing the point. It's, it's not about business for us. It's about uh, creating community and loving on people and watching that, you know, have a positive result for, for our business. I think, um, as we love on others and they experience that love, regardless of who they are, it's an open door for our cafe. So, um, I don't care what you believe in or who you are, you're welcome. And if our staff understands that and their first priority is to be welcoming and hospitable and just to have good conversation that that shows love. And I think that invites people back, which then gets in a deeper conversation. So it's, it's hard to teach that. How do you teach that to somebody? And I think, I think even with people that do have a heart for community that takes constant reminder and constant talking through, but Mm -hmm. man, they see the results of that. I've seen, I've seen tears shed over conversations on the bar often and in a good way, you know, of, of heartfelt conversations that have happened over coffee. Uh, coffee is the catalyst, you know, and I think the people are the heart. 
Yeah, I think it. I've, I mean, I've been here and I've been able to experience just. You know, I'm kind of just sitting back watching, taking it all in. I don't have any tasks or duties or anything. I just, <laughs> I just kind of am there. But the amount of people that walk into the roastery and just say hi to Sean and say, you know, hey man, how are you? And they're so excited to see him. And um, and I don't know if we've seen the same person twice. It's got to be <laughs> like I've been here for like three weeks, and I think we've seen a different person every single time yeah. it's like it's not it's just busy. like once a week it's like four people every day i yeah. swear and yeah. he and and everyone at the shop is invested in these people and they in turn not only buy buy things and support the business but they're investing in and um you know telling their friends about it and saying hey these people really took care of me when i was there and, and it's just amazing to to see and to watch the fruit of that come to life because it's really, it's amazing how many people are just so supportive of Sean and, and the people at the business, let alone the business. And I think that's cool. Yeah. My, my wife, Jenna, um, I mean, really, really the cafe being the face of the business, she, as she understands that and as she hires for heart, um, that's, that's her first priority is, pouring into mm. our our team and really being cognizant of where their hearts are and <clears throat> investing and being sensitive to them. I think that creating that healthy team that she's done such a great job with then just spills over into your customers as well. So um, <clears throat> I think that's another piece that we've figured out as leaders uh, that, you know, it's more about our culture and, <clears throat> and the heart of the people that are there really serving us and, um, I think that's that's been a, a huge lesson that we've been learning as well, and it's been fun. I mean, that's I think that's that's kind of our our on or uh, not our overt mission, but it's been our you know our our mission at heart. Yeah, I think that's another piece I could talk on is from the moment I was working on the bar with uh, uh, baristas, they completely welcomed me and you know, started training me and I just felt like I was in the way doing, you know, getting, <laughs> I, I had no idea. You were doing, doing great, actually. I was pretty impressed. Yeah, but right away I had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> yeah, right? right? And every single one was so hospitable, so willing to teach me. And, and ever since everyone's like, hmm. you know, so excited to see me and hmm. how many people have said, oh, we're so sad you're leaving. And I, yeah. you know, I hardly even know them. Yeah. And they're so, yeah, they've, they've taken me in like I'm part of the team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that speaks volumes to, to the quality of people they are, you know, they're not offended by me being there and <laughs> taking, you know, time from them perhaps, or taking whatever, you know, seeing me being, getting this special opportunity, you know, they're, they're not against that. They're so, they're so for it. And mm-hmm. they, just, they think it's so cool. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just been blown away by their humility and, so yeah, you've got a great team. And I think, you know, dad, you talk about this all the time, you know, you say, I don't really know anything. I just hire good people. <laughs> and <laughs> That's good. And it's, it's so true. And it, and it's really cool to see in this, in this business, but, but it's not always been that way for you. Yeah. I think that's a segment that we can get into the next little topic. Yeah, that's good. What are your thoughts on toxic leadership mm-hmm. or toxic workplace? Mm-hmm. And what are the ways to mitigate that? Yeah, I, we still, 
you know, we at, at times we still do experience that. I mean, we're all still human and there is still that side of uh, mistakes can happen. And um, obviously anything good that we do is opposed. And that opposition sometimes can come in many different ways. But the first things I think about are um, when there's speculation or when there's um, there's times that Jenna and I have kind of not been quite as present as we should, you know, we're not the best or perfect business owners, um, or leaders, but you know, we're doing our best, but when, when we're not quite as present or aware of some of the things going on, sometimes, um, toxic conversation can start just through speculation of, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to, trying to come up with a, a, a better example to make this more tangible, but, um, I think if, if, if we're not as involved as we should be, or as constantly present as we ought to be, uh, the culture can start to shift. And I think that can start to get toxic. And it's interesting what, what one person who has a suggestion or a thought that's not accurate, or that's, you know, speculation in the wrong direction of who we are, then pretty much everything starts to come into question. And that, that can start to create that toxic environment and that has to be exposed. And so we, we've learned over the, over, you know, the last six years to try and expose that stuff early uh, or, or, you know, avoidance, which comes with constant communication. And we try to do team meetings as often as we can, which usually only ends up being once a month. Um, but that, that mostly proves to be enough. Um, and, and really create an open environment for open conversation. There's no question that our staff can't ask my wife and there's no question that our staff can't ask me um, and they'll get an honest response. And usually that's enough to just kind of expose any of that, any of that toxic stuff. Um, at times we've missed it, especially early on where it, it almost feels like everyone's against us. Um, it's it's just silly to look back and see why when you start to really peel back the layers of that onion and ask those questions of them like why did you think this of me and why did you think this of our of our business and why did you think this was the direction we were going you start asking those questions and as they answer them some of the answers are so silly but it's the lens in which what they were they were viewing us through which you know none of it's accurate but if you don't um, address that stuff early and, and talk about that stuff. It's hard to expose. And then it becomes the truth through which they see things. So mm. um, yeah, that toxic stuff, it, we haven't experienced a ton of it, but when we do, it's so painful. I mean, we've lost a lot of really, not a lot, but a few really good people through some of that toxic stuff. Um, and so my wife is very sensitive to it. She knows it when she senses it, she brings it up and wants it exposed immediately so we can talk through it. Um, and we're really, when you cleanse that out, um, and you push that stuff out, the people that need to go will go. And the people that need to stay who have the heart for who you are and for what they're doing with you and through you, um, will stick around. And I think that just creates an even more healthy, uh, business environment. Yeah, Sean, I think I, I, I really appreciate what you said. You know, one of the things we talk a lot about is toxic leadership and certainly, yeah. certainly there, you know, organizations are, are full of toxic leaders we we hear mm -hmm. about all the time but i think one of the things you bring up that i've been thinking about more lately is it's not just leaders that are toxic there can be other people in the organization that are toxic yeah and, absolutely and um 
you know, sometimes I think you know, we get so focused on the leaders and the problem is the leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and maybe in a lot of cases that's true, but it's not sure. always true. It could be the other people. And yeah. uh, so I think I appreciate you bringing that up. I think that's really a good point for us to remember. Yeah, it's hard. It's as I as I'm thinking about toxic leadership, um, it, it's hard to, to put that in context of a small business when you're the only real one there that's the leader. You know, I mean, we've got a cafe manager, um, so I guess that we can include that in our leadership structure, um, which we've had challenging leaders there. And man, that can be such a hard thing to address. And if we again back to if we don't expose that stuff early that can start to get toxic in the entire team. In fact, that's kind of where most of that stuff has come from, where it's been rooted was from the top down, from um, a toxic manager. Um, and then, you know, obviously that stuff spills down and then dissension happens and all that. But I, I think back to just my time in the service and I, as I look through different leaders that I've been under and those that I've admired and those that I have not, I think at the core of what, just off, you know, my first thoughts in this um, of what I've experienced through a toxic leader has been rooted in selfishness. Um, and so when I see that in somebody, I think that they're trying to excel themselves. Um, they're very self-centered and they're not a servant leader. And I feel like as we name that, the results are watching a guy trying to elevate himself above others and nobody will get in his way. And you know, behind him is a wake of destruction and people that are hurt. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think Sean, that, I mean, just what you just said is probably a pretty good synopsis of kind of that classic leadership characteristics. Mm-hmm. You know, it's people that are focused on themselves. So mm-hmm. that, that's, that's great stuff. Yeah. Pretty well said, Sean. Thank you Thank for you. your thoughts. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Big E, any other, any other questions here on this segment? No, I mean, we could talk for days about this. Yeah, I, know. Um, <laughs> I think we'll wrap it up for now. Maybe yeah. we'll just have to have Sean on again. Uh, but before <laughs> before we're done here, Sean, we want to come back with one more segment. Uh, so you can you can give us a quick, quick school lesson on coffee. Yeah, I'd love to. That sounds good. All right, be back in a second. All right, Sean, our last segment here with you. So... So dad and I, we drink coffee, but we, I, I would, at least for myself, I would claim to not know hardly anything about coffee. Um, so we just wanted to ask you some questions as the master cost coffee roaster. <laughs> explain briefly, could you explain briefly the process from coffee berry until it gets to our cups? Yeah, um, that's fascinating. I I didn't know anything about coffee when I was getting into it. Um, I had a friend give me a bag of coffee from a local coffee roaster, which I didn't even know what that meant. It just meant, you know, a small business owner was roasting his own beans that he sourced from a producer from somewhere in the world. And as the years have passed, I've gone down this adventure of learning more about coffee. And what I've discovered is there's a human being behind this thing. And what I mean by that is um, <clears throat> uh, coffee has grown in, well, it's grown all over, all over the world, but some of my favorites come from Central America. So as I got deeper into it, I, I just knew that 
I needed to be able to connect with the person that's behind this thing so that I know who we're buying from and who we're supporting. Um, so man, my first adventure was in El Salvador. It was, it was great. Uh, some of my, my most beloved coffees are from Guatemala, uh, which I think we sell probably 70% of our coffee is from Guatemala. But as I went down and I, and I started to meet some of the producers and farmers and growers, um, I'm, I'm looking at these trees and they've got these red cherries on them and coffee beans are grown in cherries. So, uh, during peak ripeness during harvest season, which we're actually just starting in right now, uh, most of central America is starting to pick some of their lower elevation coffees. Um, so technically by definition, we are in the specialty coffee industry. So we're buying high quality lots, um, which makes it sound a little more fancy than it is. I'm not buying very super expensive coffee, but, um, but we are technically in a specialty realm where the coffees that we buy have to score a certain score, uh, kind of like your wine tasting. So we're after not the most high end or expensive, but you know, just good quality, good high quality, which also means good practices for their, you know, the people that they hire, uh, the farmers themselves. And it also means a good wage for them or a fair wage. So different than, where you would get into fair trade or organic or whatever like that. And I know that's a whole nother conversation, but, um, so basically coffee's grown in a cherry on a shrub or a tree. Uh, they're picked at peak ripeness and then, uh, immediately taken to a coffee mill where this machine will, um, strip the skin off of the coffee cherry. And then what's left is kind of a really sticky mucilage that's surrounded by the coffee bean itself. Um, and then, Coffee can take a couple of different roads from there, but the most simple version is a washed coffee, which the majority of that happens in Central and South America, uh, where they have a little bit more access to water. So um, after it's been stripped, it sits in a, a big tank and it ferments for about 12 to 18 hours, depending on what the producer is trying to do. Um, and that fermentation causes a lot of things to change in the coffee itself, but um, it, it really loosens up all that sticky mucilage. So if you think about an apple, as you skin the apple back, there's still, there's fruit underneath that skin, same with coffee. So in order to get that fruit off of the beans that are inside, the fermentation causes that to loosen. Mm. And then it goes through a washing trough, basically where uh, the coffee is going through flowing water and is kind of pushed with these sticks. And when that happens, a lot of the um, lower quality coffees float to the top because they're less dense and they have less sugar development and less flavor um, and less complexity. So that will kind of wash off the top. And at a certain point, um, the quality that we're looking for is kind of sunk to the bottom. Uh, but all that sticky stuff will be washed off from there. And then after that, they just take them in these baskets and literally just dump them on the ground on these um, drying patios. Majority of people are just doing it on drying patios or rooftops. And it just dries in the sun. And in the beginning, they'll bring these like wooden stick things and kind of push through the coffee about every hour to turn the coffee so it doesn't mold and so that it dries evenly. Um, and a lot of coffees will sit on these drying patios for, and depending on the weather, you know, 10 days, 20 days, whatever it is, um, as it's drying out. And then, uh, so basically when we get the coffee, it's in its dried form. So... Uh, it'll be putting these big old 69 kilogram bags, which is 152 pounds. They are not light, um, but that, that's how we receive the coffee. We call it green coffee when we get it like that. 
Um, and then we, we roast it up and hopefully do a good job of that and not destroy it too bad and then uh, <laughs> grind and brew and, and serve it. So all that when you're, when you're drinking your cup of coffee has happened and more, you know, all the logistics of getting it to us. So anyway, hope that's s- simple enough, but, but it's complex. It's a very complex system. So yeah. So what is the, okay. So what does the roasting process do? I mean, it, does it mm-hmm. basically cook the, or bake the no, coffee yeah. bean or yeah yeah you're you're ba- you're baking the coffee you're cooking it so um ugh, talk so a little many... bit about the the process like time talk about just briefly like time and temperature first crack yeah yeah that's what, good what, what should actually happens to the bean nothing too yeah. technical but as you're applying heat to a coffee bean there's a common term called maillard or mylard and a lot of people understand that as sugar browning where you're just browning something. And it's kind of what brings a lot of complexity, flavor, and sugars through. Or you're also caramelizing sugars. So you're 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 taking something and you're changing its current state. And you're doing a lot of things by making it um in in, in terms of coffee, you're making it soluble so that water can actually dissolve it. But you're man, you're doing so many more things. You're developing sugars, you're developing flavor. Um, and at a certain point, if you don't stop roasting, you're, you're burning a lot of that. <laughs> developing that flavor. You, you are. You're, you're developing carbon. Um, and the high-quality coffees that we're buying, if we do take it to a super dark roast, you're going to miss out on all the complexity that that coffee has to offer through the roasting process. So there's really a lot of people will say there's, there's not much you can put into the coffee or make coffee better. It just when I get a green coffee, the quality is what the quality is. And it's my job to try to not diminish that through the roasting process and destroy that complexity. So we try to be as sensitive as we can with that. Um, but it does have to be roasted to a degree that it can be ground and then extracted through hot water and filtration. And then we get to consume the results of that. Yeah. What are some tips on having a great cup of coffee, great cup of Joe, I should say every mm-hmm. morning or every time you're going to have coffee. Okay, so you have a, you have a bag, you know, like you have the daily or whichever you want to choose. Sometimes you make it and it's good. Sometimes you make it and it's bad. How can you, yeah. How can you make it good every time? Yeah. Is it possible. Yeah. Me and yeah. Eli and I were riffing on this yesterday, actually. Um, I, in my opinion, I think everyone's probably got a different opinion on all this, but um, starting with good quality coffee, um, I think, I think the biggest thing you can do is good quality grind. I think that's probably, again, in my opinion, the most important aspect of trying to get the most out of your cup. If you're going to spend, you know, 14, 15, 16, $21 on a 12 ounce bag of coffee, depending on where you're buying from, um, I want to taste what's there. And I think that if you've got a poor quality grinder, that grinder, or like a blade chopper grinder, um, that's going to cause a lot of really inconsistent um, grind size. So your grind size deviation or variation is going to be pretty drastic. You're going to have a lot of fine dust, and then you're going to have a lot of larger, bolder pieces. And the way that coffee is extracted, um, the solubles come out depending on the size of the grind, right? So the more that coffee bean that's exposed, the easier it is to extract. So if you've got tiny fine dust and really big particles, then that water is going to extract each one of those pieces differently. So you're going to end up all over the spectrum with what's in your cup in the end. And a lot of that 
a lot of the small pieces are going to be over extracted. A lot of those big pieces are going to be under extracted. And each of those results in different flavor characteristics, which some can be good and some can be really terrible. So for me, if I'm going to buy a bag of coffee from a roaster and I don't have a good quality grinder, I'm going to ask them to grind it. Now, I know that a lot of people are going to cringe right now when they hear that because <laughs> coffee really starts to diminish once you grind it. But I would rather have properly ground coffee that's a little bit older than grind really fresh coffee poorly and never experience what it that's has. super interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so Sean, so, so I, after the podcast, I think I got to rush right out and buy a different grinder. Because... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have the blade grinder and probably my tendency is to pulverize it into powder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Track everything. And so my question is, you know, so that's probably my, my uh, habit. What, yeah. what am I doing to the coffee? What, 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 what's the result of me grinding it to a powder? Yeah. It's easy to over extract, which brings a lot of bitterness and you can, um, as the water's sitting in, or as the coffee's sitting in hot water, it's dissolving solubles in there. And you, you can, you, you really only want to dissolve so much that you can get really down a rabbit trail here with that, with technical stuff. But I think for the most part, um, you're making it easier for water to pull the flavors you want out of that coffee. So if you think about the more you grind a, a bean, the more surface area you've exposed on that bean. Yeah. Um, all the way down to like, an espresso grind, right? Like where it's, where it really is just fine powder, but you're trying to extract that very quickly. So an espresso machine, when you're brewing espresso, I mean, that espresso is brewed in like 30 seconds, but it's under high pressure and it's really controlled and it's going through a really high quality grinder. That's creating consistent particle size. I think that's what I'm getting at is probably yeah. consistent particle size is very important. Um, so if you're doing that while you're brewing, um, the risk is that you're going to be over extracting quite a bit and you'll get a lot of bitterness in the cup, um, bitterness as opposed to sourness. But, um, so if, so if your coffee is really bitter, like, like a good, a, a well roasted, well brewed cup of coffee should have complexity and sweetness and balance. And, um, we talk about body and acidity. Acidity is kind of the, the pinch you feel on your tongue. Like if you were to, you know, taste of lemon, there's acid in lemon, obviously. And that's the most obvious one to point out. Um, I, I made Eli like a battery the other day because I wanted him to experience like malic acid. And, and he did that. And, yeah, and he's like, like yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he licked the, the little battery and, and felt that pinch on his tongue. But it kind of just brings uh, the idea of how to taste coffee or at least experience acidity differently. Um and then same with body, you know, just that's mostly for me, the texture. If you brew a French press, um, usually that the body in that coffee is very heavy because you've only filtered it through a metal mesh screen um, versus a drip coffee like your, your normal Mr. Coffee pot is going through a paper filter. And that's fine. That's great. Um, to me, I, I get a little bit more clarity out of a coffee when I can pass it through a paper filter. So I hope that, I hope that answers your question and somewhat There's of a roundabout way. Exactly. It's so hard to, to, to pin that down. Especially when you know nothing. It's like, I, I, I put my folders in the Mr. Coffee yeah. and turn and, it on. And that's fine. You know, proper brew ratio is important. And, and obviously you can find all this stuff online, but I think it just starts with good quality coffee from a local roaster. Ask them questions, ask the baristas questions, but well ground and then well extracted. And extracting, I think, is probably it, it's super important, but I, I think it's 
it's it's after having it ground properly yeah wow <laughs> yeah dad you need a new yeah, what? Well, dad needs I, a new grinder i i think i i think i'm going to have developed a complex about my bad coffee brewing skills so i think uh, i'm going to have to work on it <laughs> That's it's okay. Awesome. It's awesome. It's all a journey, and it, it, I think that's what makes it fun. Is as you start to experience these things and learn these things, yeah. like who would have thought there's that much complexity in this coffee bean? Yeah. And and as you as you start to get into grinding and 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 even roasting at home, there's so many home roasters, and that's so much fun because you get to watch this green thing, this hard waxy bean, turn into something that you can pulverize and. Mm-hmm and extract and then make a flavor come out. And it's more than just caffeine. It's more than just getting your caffeine buzz, but uh, there's so much culture that gets to be created around this delicious product that, that we've fallen in love with, you know? And, and it's interesting how much passion we have towards coffee. And then I'll tell you that our business again is rooted in, in, in people, in humans in hearts and relationships. And, and we're more passionate about that than we are coffee itself anyway. So. That's great, Sean. Sean, we just wanted to thank you for coming on to our show. I think we're out of time here, but um, you know, you bring bring a lot of obviously great knowledge and insight into coffee, but into mm-hmm. leadership and running a small business, and and you know, those are I mean, those are lessons that not only our listeners, but I think the three of us uh, just gain insight from. So thank you for that, Sean. If uh, if any of our listeners want to go out and find some of your coffee, where would they find it? <laughs> Uh, humble little plug here, I guess, but yeah, building three coffee.com building three coffee.com. Yep. What would, what would you recommend for, uh, for the average Joe getting a bag? The, the daily is a good place to start. That's a, that's just our daily coffee. We brew that on, on our drip pot every day. Um, honestly, any of the washed Guatemalans are so good. Anything from Guatemala, I think is just great. And, we have, we have a lot of really deep, good relationships over in Guatemala as well. So that's kind of all, uh, the second reason why I, I suggest that. But but they are some of my most favorite coffees. Awesome. Um, so yeah. building, building3.com? Building3coffee.com. Yep. Building3coffee.com. Yep. Very good. Thank you, guys. It's been an honor. I really appreciate it. It's been really fun. Thanks for joining us on the First Cup of Joe show brought to you by Level Up Courses. If you enjoyed the show today, be sure to rate us five stars on Spotify or iTunes, leave us a review, and share with a friend. When you're ready to level up your leadership skills, go to mem3.levelupcourses.co. That's mem3.levelupcourses.co. And use promo code FIRSTCUPOFJOE to get 25% off our leadership course. I'm Christian, here with my dad, Jeff. Keep your mornings early, your coffee cup full, and keep leveling up.